Welcome to King of Glory Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this week's encouraging message. For more information, please visit kingofglorycc.com. I am so delighted that they're here today. And in that, um, Joanne and Jamie have been faithful to this church for many, many, many years. And they have prayed for us. They have supported us. They have encouraged us. And one of the things, there's a transition, I believe, really happening in their lives in this new year, and that the Lord is really solidifying that they are are being launched out into an itinerant-type ministry, which is really to the body of Christ, to strengthen the church, to encourage the church, to speak life into the church, but they are, they are vessels that are really called to the wider body. And so in that, um, we are blessed in knowing that um, we have individuals that have, have also witnessed the faithfulness of God in their lives, even though when times it didn't make sense. Um, they, were, they were sharing a story about it took them, how many miles you say you had to go? 12,000 miles to really, um, to realize everything came back around to realize the faithfulness of God. But sometimes it takes us going on a few miles to discover that. But in that, I am so blessed because over the years, we've had some incredible teachings that have come for them on dreams, um, on redemptive gifts. And to this day that the redemptive gift teaching that they have imparted into the body of Christ transformed my life. I realized you know, uh, the way God has made me is, is very special. And this has helped me to know how I can grow in the weaknesses and the areas. I can even strengthen those areas that are, are strong. Bottom line is this, is that truth has been imparted to this church that has been life-giving. And, um, and, I, and I so respect Jamie um, in that um, he travels, you know, Pretty much he's overseeing the world right now, making sure that the enemy doesn't get the upper hand. You know, he works with the State Department and overseeing um, a lot of the uh, embassies across the world, which, you know, that's not a small job. I mean, come on. I mean, that's a lot of embassies and it's a big job. But you know what? He's got big shoulders and God has imparted much to him. And I so respect him for how he serves our nation and protecting our nation. And um, so in that, I'm so blessed and grateful that you guys are here today. So I'm just going to, I want you all to warmly welcome our dear friends to this house today. So would you guys give uh, the Arizagas a big hand? Come on. Yeah. That's what I'm talking about. Okay. So welcome. Bless you. Thank you. We are excited to be here. Do you want to? <laughs> okay. um, we both have a word today that we're going to share with the house. So I'm going to go ahead. Oh, you're going to wait. Oh, okay. My husband is a man of order and discipline. He likes things. 
He likes things to follow the POD, which is the plan of the day in military terms. And uh, we run, he, run, he runs, and I try to keep up. He runs a tight ship down there, South Mills, North Carolina. Hold on, I got to type in my. So we have not gone anywhere because my husband is in the high-risk category for uh, the, the virus. And so we have been following the medical advice and what everyone's been doing and saying about acting wisely in this season. And so we've been home. And, um, and my husband's been working from home. Uh, running his programs all over the world from his computer in his office. And I bring him three meals a day to his desk. I mean, he is living the A-plus life. And then when he's done with running the world, from because he's got to run the world. And, you know, I sometimes I imagine, I think, Lord, if you did not give this man, he would probably just be running me crazy, like trying to... Do you think, he didn't have energy left to run me. And I was like, Lord, thank you. What are we going to do when he's not running the world? I don't know. We're going to have to think about that. And um, so he's run the world, and then he can get up from his desk, and he can cut the grass, and he can work the property and build walls. And, you know, we got five acres and a couple houses on it. And, and he's just, he is living his best life. I will look out the window and see him and the John Deere's just going back and forth, back and forth. I mean, he doesn't have to commute. He can just get on that tractor, and he's moving stuff and shifting things. And, and I mean, he, he's in a ruler's dream. I, on the other hand, am living his dream, <laughs> his A-plus life. And, um, and so I was talking to him, and I said, I said, you know, uh, the Lord spoke to both of us about this season and, and uh, gave us both a word about this COVID season and um, for the body of Christ at large. I tell you, it's freaking me out seeing Becca holding a baby because I have been to this church since she was a little girl. And I'm like, what? She's married? She's going to YWAM? Why is she holding a baby? I'm freaking out right now. I just want to say, I'm not, I mean, I remember you running around with Maricela's kids all the time and little and wow this is just a shift for me which is probably a confirmation for the word so anyway so the Lord gave us both a word at Rosh Hashanah last year mine came then Jamie's came at COVID and I said I said you know I keep getting this feeling like we're supposed to go to King of Glory uh, Labor Day weekend and share the word and he said boy he said he said, that's the truth. He said, let's do it. And, you know, my son is in his third year of medical school at UVA, and he's like, you can't go anywhere. You have to stay home with your mask on. And, um, you know, and I said, you know, son, really, if I see the John Deere another day, I, 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 you know, we might have more problems than COVID down there in South Mills, okay? So we, you know, so we're just, we're just home minding our business, and I thought we were coming here to bring the two words the Lord gave us for the body of Christ at large. Because isn't it amazing, you know, we grew up in a house that would always emphasize to us that the, um, the, the Issachar tribe, what distinguished them is that the mighty men of Issachar knew 
the times and seasons of the Lord, and they knew what Israel was supposed to do. And, you know, we were blessed to grow up in that house, and the Lord has been faithful to always speak a word to us. We don't have the only word, but we have wisdom and insight. And we're like, well, let's go and tell King of Glory what the Lord told us about this season. Because it is a confusing season. It is, we're wondering, when is this going to end? When's the next thing going to happen? What's God doing next? What's God doing at all? And so we came to that. And then six days ago, I had a dream. And in the dream, I came to this church. I'm actually thinking that it was probably a vision because I was actually in the sanctuary. And, um, and I realized that I needed to come and say what I saw in that vision. And, um, and so I'm going to say that. And then Jamie's going to share the word that he got for the church at large, which also applies to the dream. And, you know, God, he's always doing, connecting all the dots. And uh, so we're just going to kind of go with what the Holy Spirit is doing. You know, when I come here, I get nervous sometimes because, you know, you come and walk into a church that's been established for many years, and the Holy Spirit's telling you in the back of your head, see, I hear him. The way this works is he talks, I hear him. And then ideally, I say what he says, right? That's, that's the way this plan works when you're out here doing this for a living. Um, but uh, sometimes he says things, and I'm like, oh, no, no. No, I don't think I feel comfortable saying that. And, you know, 15 months I came here and I said, uh, I think the Lord is telling, talking to you about changing your name. I mean, people, you don't. It's one thing to walk in a church and say, hey, the Lord's going to bless you and multiply you and you're going to have favor. It's a whole other thing when you stand in the pulpit with people that you love who you know their redemptive gifts, servant, teacher, neither one who are looking for change. God's going to have to really sit them, you know, catch their attention and say, I'm about to do change. Like, really? Are you sure? Let's have some confirmation. They're not, they're not on the edge like the visionaries waiting for the next chain so they can grab onto it. And I'm going to stand up in the pulpit and say, I think God might be talking to you about a name change. <laughs> I had no idea, no idea that, they, that God was speaking to them about changing the name of this church. So then when I'm coming here, I'm nervous because God puts me out there in risky times, you know, to say things I don't necessarily want to say. And, um, and I, it's funny because I was sharing with them last night at supper. During this COVID time, my daughter and my son-in-law that live near us are both attorneys. And she is the president of the bar for North Carolina. And he is the chief district attorney for five counties. So they did not have a COVID day. They did not stay home. They were essential. But they lost daycare and school. So grandma stepped up to the plate to uh, take over the schooling and the daycare for the 10-year-old and the 3-year-old. And uh, we just finished our last day last Wednesday. And I'm not going to lie to you. When I had to open those homeschool books again and the 10-year-old said, are you sure about that? I was thinking to myself, girl, I knew. I've been knowing the bones of the ear since you were a thought in your mama's mind. Not even a thought. When you were a thought in God's mind, I knew what the bones in the ear were. Yes, I know that I'm right about this. It felt like punishment. 
It did. I said, Jesus, <laughs> what did I sow that I should reap this again? That I got children. Ask me. And I told you, Lord, I wanted to forget the bones in the ear. I don't want to know their names anymore. I don't want to know these things. So here I am. I'm homeschooling, doing all this. And uh, this last uh, Wednesday was my last day as homeschool and daycare. And it really was a precious time. I, I won't, I won't lie. Was, some of it was challenging, but a lot, a lot of it was precious. And our three-year-old granddaughter is a servant redemptive gift. The 10-year-old is a giver, so she's very directive, which is code for bossy. But anyway, um, so, she, so the, so the three-year-old, she takes my face as she's leaving. Her mama's taking the car seat out of my car. The shift is changing. Grandma's no longer going to be the daycare provider. And she takes my face in her hands, and she says, Grandma, it's really important. You've got to tell B-Paul, that's what she calls him, to not eat my Cheetos or drink my juice. She said, but, but you got to tell him nicely because I love him. I'm sitting there, I'm thinking, what? <laughs> These are her parting words, things she is concerned about, that there are boundaries on the, on the, uh, the juice and the Cheetos. And she wants those boundaries enforced now. She did not say share them. She wants those boundaries in place. But she wants to make sure that I'm kind as I enforce the boundaries because she loves him. And I was telling Pastor Sam and Pastor Eliza last night that for the first time I caught a glimpse of the Lord when he wants to tell us strong things. I want you to bring this word, but I want you to say it kindly because I love you know, I had not really ever thought about that because, you know, a lot of times, depending on where you grew up, what house, what parents, the word is the word, right? Comes forward with fire and brimstone or, or whatever, you know. But, but I was thinking about that, how important it is to the servant that boundaries are enforced but as kindly and lovingly as possible. So today I have a word for you about the Cheetos <laughs> and, the, and the juice and some boundaries. And I hope to honor the, the serving part of God's nature by doing it as kindly as I can. I did want to give you a quick update. Uh, Y'all sent me, really this church, took up an offering, and uh, I had been invited to go to South Africa. Just a quick update, and we'll get right back to the word. Um, and, uh, you know, when you've traveled a lot, uh, I don't know, maybe not all people, but for me, when you've traveled a lot, I really don't enjoy traveling anymore, except in the, you know, in North Carolina, like the beach to the mountains. That's kind of like my zone now, and I'm good. You know, I've, I've lived in the Middle East. I've lived in the Philippines. I've lived on the other side of the world. I've made the 27-hour flights, you know, multiple times. I don't find it exciting. So when, you know, I got the call, that they wanted me to go to South Africa. I was like, oh, good gracious, how long is that flight? And they were like, well, it's 23 hours for the first one and then three hours for the second one. I was like, good gracious, who wants to sit on a plane 
for 23 hours with a bunch of people who got them stockings pulled up to their waist trying to keep from getting a, a blood clot, you know? Because that's what happens when you get on these long flights. People don't even care. They don't have any home training. They just get on there and start putting up them, them pantyhose right up, you know, on everybody looks ridiculous on the plane. And by the time you get there, there's people on the plane you like and people you never want to see again in your life. You know, they're singing songs. They're annoying. They're doing stuff. You know, they're all, and then there's people like, oh, we'll get together. We'll email. You know, I mean, you can live a whole life in a flight, you know. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. So I came here to preach, and I said, Lord, if you want me to go to South Africa, then, you know, as Eliza said so wisely last night, anything born of the Spirit, the Lord sustains. And anything born of the flesh, you have to sustain. And that's a heavy load. So I said, all right, Lord, if you want me to go to South Africa, you provide the resources. And in one service here, one service, the Lord provided my entire ticket and my hotel, everything for a month in South Africa. I called the people. I told them, I said, I'm going to go preach this conference, and if I get the money, I'll call you. I called them three hours later, and I said, okay, sign me up. I still wasn't too happy about it, but... But he said, I'm going out. I had all these dreams I was going to Africa. I'm like, Lord, why me? Send the exhorters. They're waiting for an exciting trip, you know, right? Why you send me, I'm, you know? So anyway, but I'm going because he said to go. I'm at least going to go where he said. So I get on, get there, and I, I brought a little bit back with, I wanted to show you. Um, Mariah, if you'll run that first clip real quick. Can you turn it up? But deeper, 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 the of Jesus deeper. Do I look technically capable to you, Jeremy? I just want—I just want to have a quick review here. Oh, thank you. Sorry, it was actually on my phone. I apologize that that wasn't louder. They're singing. Um, Cast your burdens unto Jesus, for he cares for you. Higher, 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 higher. Now, what I wanted, I wanted you to see that. I was in South Africa for a month. I went up and down the whole country, multiple places. We, we prayed, we prophesied, the kingdom was advanced. But this particular place that I wanted you to see, in South Africa, they have no um, provision for refugees. Zero. If you come to the country as a refugee and you are not a citizen, there are no funds for you, there's no health care, there's no government program, there's no government handout, there's nothing. You're invisible. So what happens is the people who come from these countries and sneak in, they're literally abandoned by everybody. And that's how why they create these, uh, these Soweto-type cities you see that they build them up, you know, out of whatever they can find. And they just, like, take up, like, squatters. This particular camp 
was all those children that you saw, they were from Zimbabwe. And what happened, because Zimbabwe just fell apart because of civil war, the people go down to the Zambezi River, which is full of crocodiles. And the people jump in and pray that they swim faster than whoever's going to be the meal to the crocodile. Those children that you saw are the parents that swam faster because a third of the people that jump in the river go to heaven being eaten by crocodiles. So then they get to these camps, and they are just living in shacks, and the only people who reach out to them are Christians. There's no service provided by any type of institution. There's no Obamacare. There's no welfare. There's no food stamps. There's nothing. So this camp, a Christian lady, a very wealthy white South African lady, was driving down the road one day by one of these camps, and she saw the children playing by the road, and she said, like we all would, Lord, help them. That's not safe. That's kind of dangerous because this is squatter's camp. And the Lord said to her, I want you to play with them. Keep them safe from the road. So she went to the store and bought some toys. And here's this very well-to-do, educated, living a very luxurious life, white South African lady is on the edge of the squatter's camp playing with the children from Zimbabwe that no one else cares about. Fast forward to the story. She bought the land, built three schools from Bible studies that she went to with a lot of other rich white South African ladies. And this entire camp now has an education program and a health clinic because one Christian lady was driving by. Well, all the cash that you guys gave me, I put in her hand when I saw what she was doing for the kingdom. Um, can you bring up the other little girl? Will we be able to hear it better? I don't know if we will. Two years old. Look at her face. That's good, Mariah. Thank you. She came out of the squatter's village alone. Now, I'm an, I'm a, I'm an American mama. I, don't, I can't even comprehend a child that's two years old that's walking alone on the side of the road because I'm looking. I'm, you know, I'm that age now. I'm grandma. I'm looking in the store. Where's that child's mother? You know, why is this child alone? Is there an, where is an adult, a responsible adult, right? Here comes this little girl, and she just comes walking out of the village by herself, and I'm looking for who's with her. Nobody's with her. But she knows that it's worship service every Tuesday 
And she walks out by herself, sits down into the worship service by herself with no adult supervision. They don't even know who her parents are in the squatter's town. But she comes every Tuesday on her own and worships the Lord. And then she goes back. I am standing there. My mind is blown. And I'm watching her, and I'm thinking of that scripture. Who's Whosoever will, if you want to find him, it doesn't matter if your parents swam across a river and faced crocodiles from a country that nobody cares a rip about them. God will put an entire squatter's camp and school in place for the whosoever that wants to find him. She has no background. We were walking through the squatter's town, and they asked us one lady. They said to her, Mama, why didn't the children come to school today? She said, no, no. We asked the elders, meaning the dead ones, the ancestors. They said the children will go blind if they go to the white person's school. I mean, I was just standing there thinking, but this little girl, her family doesn't even care where she is, but there's something in her that was drawing out. People, I took every penny y'all gave me, and I walked over to that lady and I said, please, take this. And I don't, just do, just in Jesus' name, be blessed. And I just left her all the money. Because, I mean, people, that's the work of the Lord right there. And I was so amazed that God would erect that entire camp and all these people for that one little girl to find him. And you can tell she's finding him. So anyway, end of the story. Um, it ended up that uh, after a month of ministering there, I was invited to join a board for Heal the Land Ministries that is working against human trafficking in Asia, Africa, and the United States. And um, we have purchased land in Pretoria, and we are building a house for women that are rescued uh, from human trafficking I'm helping uh, to design a program of restoration with a, a psychologist from Kuala Lumpur. And we just, two weeks ago, um, were contacted by a lady in South Africa that runs a beauty school. And she said if we would build the classrooms and the dormitories by the house, that she would bring the staff and provide uh, beauty school diplomas and education for these women to have an alternate trade since the trade has been safe. People, that's what God did from a little bit of money that y'all sowed into my life. So I just wanted to share that with you. And, I, and right when COVID hit, I was on my way back to South Africa for three months and to Namibia because the Lord has just opened up uh, this area to us. You know, and um, and I just wanted you to know this is what you were sowing into, and this is what you're going to continue to sow into because we're sending money for this program for the house to be built uh, to offer. You know, the the attrition rate is is enormous. Uh, it's unbelievable uh, because seventy percent of the of the women who are rescued, and and there are men too, but we're not addressing men at this time. This is just women. Seventy um, percent return because it's all they know. And, we're, and, and so we're really praying that the Lord gives us a strategic sword that will really strike 
at the core of these fear bonds uh, and these in the generational bondage that we can be like Jesus. He, he's the model, right? If Jesus is the model and I can do greater things than he can do, then I go to John 17 and he said, everyone that you gave me, I'm giving back to you, except the one that was never mine. That's 100%. Re you understand what I'm saying? 100%. That's what I'm shooting for in the program in South Africa. I want 100% of the people that he gives us to graduate from that program and, and, and be set into a different course of life. So I hope that you are encouraged to see what Jesus did with the seed that you sowed. And yes, I'm going to get back on that plane. And if I don't feel like getting on there and putting on my stockings to keep the blood clot up my thighs, smelling all the people, listening to them sing their songs, I'm going to play that video of that little girl's face. And would I, would you, for the one, leave the 99? Absolutely. That's the heart of this house, and I want you to see that. All right, so back to the news about the juice and Cheetos, and hopefully... <laughs> Kindly as I can. All right, let's go to Acts 10. The name of this message is The Shift. Okay. Are we ready, Mariah? Okay, bring up Acts 10 for me. Um, we're going to just skip around a little bit. I try to, I try to always give context because, you know, it's so annoying when scriptures get pulled out of context. So I always want you to see the context, but, you know, I feel like if you see it, then you can go home and read it more thoroughly. But for us, we're going to... We're going to go ahead and just, uh, all right. There was a man at Caesarea named Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian cohort. He was a Roman, not a Jew. All right, keep going. He's a devout man. He fears God. Um, the, he, he gives alms to the Jewish people. He prays to God continually. Keep going. And about the ninth hour of the day, he clearly saw in a vision an angel of God who had just come in and said to him, Cornelius, and uh, let's skip up to verse 10. Uh, so he says, look, Cornelius, this is what I want you to do. I want you to send for this man in the city named Simon Peter. You need to get him out here to see you. Now, don't you love these kind of, I love these kind of stories. He's just worshiping. He's just praying. And an angel comes in and says, Sam, look, look, I, I got something to tell you. I need you to go over there to Marion. And there's a guy over there named Phil Smith. And I need you to go send people for him. And, and, and this is the way God transacts business when we're paying attention. All right, so here's Peter. Now, I'll go to nine. Let's go to nine. So Peter, meanwhile, he's in a different city. And um, so the people from Cornelius' house are on their way to go get Peter. Peter's up on the housetop the sixth hour. He's about to pray. See, folks, God is up to something. He said something to this person in this city, and now he's getting ready to say something to this person in this city, and, and it's, it's going to kind of be that juice and Cheetos message. It's not going to be what he wants to hear, but, he's, but God's going to say it kindly. All right, keep going. He became hungry and while desiring to eat, but while they were making preparations, he fell into a trance. Keep going. And he saw the sky opened up and an object like a great sheet coming down, lowered the four corners of the ground. Keep going. And there were in it all kinds of four-footed animals and crawling creatures of the earth and birds of the air. And keep going. And a voice came to him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. 
Is there a way to shrink it and do more verses together? If there's not, that's fine. Okay, keep going. And Peter is a good Jew, and he says, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything unholy or unclean. See, this is one of those things where he is like, uh, pardon me. <laughs> uh, you might be mistaken about which vision you landed on this house right here. I don't do this, okay? Let's get that straight, Lord. All right? And he, keep going. And he says, again, a voice came to him a second time. Isn't God merciful? What God has cleansed, no longer consider unholy. See, the first time, what's Peter say? <laughs> no. It's God. And Peter is not interested. Peter, the rock on which the, the, his faith that the church is built on is not interested in what God has to say. And so what does God do? Because he's so kind. He says at the same time, this happened three times, and immediately the object was taken up into the sky. All right. <laughs> I love this. Now, Peter was greatly perplexed in mind <laughs> as to what the vision he had seen might be. Behold, the men who had been sent by Cornelius, having asked directions for Simon's house, appeared at the gate. We're going to stop on that. You know, this is so funny to me because God's doing this here and he's doing this there. And, you know, the angels are like, all right, you get that. It's, mm, it's like a play, like a football play. Cut left, turn right, tackle here, right? We're about to do something. And what's the man of God doing? No. No. Mm -mm. And then it comes a second time. Uh-uh. And then the third time. No. No, sir. No. <laughs> I don't think so. And then what's he left with? Perplexment of mind. People, if I had a dollar for every time I've been in perplexment of mind, <laughs> you wouldn't have to send me to South Africa, all right? Because I have spent a good deal of time in perplexment of mind myself. Um, let's go ahead and bring up the, uh, the first slide of the uh, program. Uh, the shift. Thomas Kuhn, in 1962, wrote a book about paradigms. I thought it was interesting that Eliza said today to the young couple that you were going to have a paradigm shift. I said, thank you, Lord, for just throwing that out there. I appreciate it. So Thomas Kuhn, a scientist, in 1962, uh, recognizes this pattern of what they call paradigms and paradigm shift. And, you know, I felt sorry for him because I felt like if he, anybody had just read the Bible, uh, they would have seen that God has been talking about paradigms and paradigm shifts since way back, right? Because Peter, that's what Peter has on the roof. Peter is sitting, a faithful man of God, sure he knows the rules, sure he's on top of them, he's got it all together, man. He is killing his game. His game is strong with God. And then God comes in. It says, guess what? Change! You know, some people like change. They welcome change. Other people can be convinced that change might be necessary, like my husband and Ranger Rick, if uh, things are more efficient, 
if it's going to bring up a higher level of productivity and efficiency, then they are all for the change. But change for the sake of change is nothing that they're interested in because if it was good enough for their grandpa and their father, then it's good enough for them. Paradigm. A paradigm is a standard, a perspective, a set of ideas. A paradigm is a way of looking at something. It can also involve a set of unwritten rules. Mm. Well, this is the way things have always been. Well, why, can we, why, why are you changing it? Because these unwritten rules are creating expectation within me that things are going to be exactly as I continue, as I've expected them, and I'd like them to continue in that fashion. The word paradigm comes up a lot in academic, scientific, and business world. I was sitting there, I was thinking, I'll tell you what, that's some boldness right there. I've discovered a new principle. Dude, read the Bible. God was talking about paradigm shifts way back in the day. When you change paradigms, you are changing how to think about something and how it functions. You know, it's funny, a shift, a paradigm shift. Let's go to the next, the next slide. So a paradigm shift is a major change in the concept and practices of how something works or is accomplished. So let me give you an example. A goal in a paradigm shift, the goal never changes. Now, I am a counselor, a Christian counselor, and uh, I'd had a practice for many years in Elizabeth City, North Carolina. And actually, this week, I will be, uh, be opening another office <laughs> and by God's uh, surprise to me. And um, I cannot tell you the number of times I have counseled young men and women who have gotten married. And I'm going to tell you, there's some kind of freakish phenomenon that a boy can grow up in the church and not remember one scripture except the husband is the head of the wife. <laughs> and I think, how did you grow up in church 30 years? 20 years, 30 years, that's the only day of scripture you left with <laughs> out of all the scripture that could be there, you know? I mean, there's so many. But somehow, culturally, we find in church, because of religion, that young men, and I'm not picking on young men, I'm just saying I've seen this quite a bit. And, um, and it's funny to me because when I begin to unpack the word and I show the couple that marriage is not about the woman serving the man, but it's about the couple serving each other. That Paul tries to teach us this concept by saying the wife's body is not her own, which then he goes on to say the husband's body is not his own. This mutual service, mutual submission, and that Jesus is the head of the wife, and that word for the headship, in the Greek, really talks about the head of where waters flow and that you become the resource of life-giving flow to the woman in your life. I cannot tell you how many times that has been a paradigm shift. <laughs> See, they're both still on the page of we're here for the marriage. We're here to make this marriage work. But if that's your paradigm, well, then you won't have to get back in a time machine and head backwards about 100, 150 years or to another culture because that's not the way it works anymore. P 
people got a little bit of revelation, a little sense going on about mutual service, mutual submission, mutual ownership. This is a team of which Jesus is the head. See, that is a paradigm shift that will drastically change and raise the contentment level of your union dramatically when both people are able to grasp the paradigm shift. It is a major change in concept, in practice. All right, let's go on to the, same, to the next one. And we want to say when God comes to shift our paradigms, are you sure about this? Because I'm looking at the plan with the unwritten rules and the expectations I have. And, and I'm going to bring this home for you quick because of time. I've been driving this church for 15 years, and it said King of Glory on everything. You going to change the name now? Mm. It's not comfortable. Keep going. Let's go to the next screen when that starts happening. See, this is how change is. <laughs> the visionaries, they're like, Matthew and Jeremy, I'm sure there's more visionaries here, but I don't know all of them. They're like, can you see it? Can you see what God is doing? The change is, oh, you're a visionary. I remember meeting with you. You're a visionary. The visionaries, when you say change to a visionary, they hear ding, 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 lottery winnings, opportunity, amazing things are coming our way. And when you say change to the 